This is episode number 82 and exciting day today. We're going to dive into the early uh, Lord of the Rings data. Uh, but before we go into that, uh, obviously, um, this show is sponsored by mtgazon.com. Um, so uh, thanks to them for sponsoring me and for letting me kindly give uh, their website to my merry ramblings about limited and data. Um, and it's also sponsored by you. Uh, there's Patreon. Uh, it's there for you to take if you have spare cash. I'm super happy if you can sponsor me. There are some tiers with some rewards uh, that will include today's question of the week. Um, yeah. And uh, so thanks to all people that are supporting me and thanks to all of you that consider supporting me because it's the thought that counts. Um, but before we go to the main topic, I always start with a preamble. And today's preamble is obviously linked to the fact that we are early in the season. And first part is early data should be approached carefully. Obviously, when we start a new format, we don't know how to build the right decks. They're maybe not perfectly streamlined. There are some cards that are clunky that we're still testing out. There are cards that are good that we are not testing enough. Um, and uh, because the decks that you're playing against are not optimal, some cards might get an unfair advantage from that and it will not carry over a matured format where those cards will be already well known and those cards will be uh, played at a proper rate and drafted at a proper rate. So very frequently the early, uh, the early data problem is that some colors are so open that you can draft the deck every single time. You can basically force some colors. An example for that was maybe uh, Midnight Hunt Blue-Black or uh, actually Mom Blue-Black was pretty open in the early game. Um, but that doesn't mean that the early data is worthless. It is not as valuable. And the problem is you know, people very frequently focus on the sample size. And that's not actually the problem of that data. The sample sizes are not as big as in the late format, but actually quite sizable. Uh, the main problem is the quality of the data. Um, because we're looking at the win rates of cards that are played in non-optimal decks, and that will vastly in, um, impact how the win rates are looking. And also we're uh, looking at the data from uh, people who don't know what they're doing yet. I mean, some maybe do, but most probably don't, uh, including myself when I start my first drafts. I have no idea if, um, if uh, the cards that I'm drafting are going to be good. I have some good, uh, you know, maybe vague idea, but um, I did set review. I looked at the format. I did the skeleton stream, uh, but before you take the cards in your hand, you can't with, uh, with, with certainty know if the cards are good at, uh, or not. But even with uh, those caveats, the smallish sample size and low quality of the data, actually, you know, when I'm look doing my later episodes uh, deep in the format, I'm usually excluding the data from the first two weeks because the format after two weeks is usually stabilized and at least the pick orders are constant and people do mostly know what they are doing with their cards. So uh, the data from after two weeks is much more valuable, but still even with that taken into account, um, the early data should not be ignored. It will show you some early indications of good cards. It will show you some very early indications of good colors. And more importantly, you know, um, in the first weeks and in the latter week, later weeks, uh, what most people that listen to me want to do is win more. 
And even with that imperfect information, you get enough to know what to do um, in order to win. Now, the problem starts if you uh, learn the early data and then put it in your head and then follow that early data uh, through the rest of the format. If you know that this is a provisional data and it's going to be very you know, fluent uh, what's going on with it, you're going to do very well because you're going to know which cards are good at the moment uh, in the early format. You're going to know what to look for. Uh, I'm probably going to show some pointers of uh, of combinations that I think might might be stronger later in the um, later in the format. And if you know that this initial data is not like written in stone and that you need to stay um, on top of this uh, um, data and you need to evolve with the format. Also, if you know that um, um, if you know that you um, you have to sometimes ignore the data because your experience tells you something else and you you know you know more or less how to do it, you're going to end up just fine. Uh, but that approach is necessary for you to actually gain something from the early data. The worst thing that you can do is uh, listen to the data from two days and then just assume ah this is going to be like this for the whole format. It's not. Uh, okay, with the preamble out of the way, uh, we have a question of the week from one of my patrons, Mike, uh, who asked roughly, I change the questions every time, but that's what they wanted to ask, how good is Stern scolding? And the question was more about how uh, how many creatures can be targeted with it and um, uh, how potentially good it is. But because I already have the early data on it, I also looked at um, some numbers and uh, I will give you maybe more context than uh, than Mike asked for. So first, let's start with Stern Scolding because maybe not everyone knows every card in the format just yet. Stern Scolding is a blue mana instant counter target spell with power or toughness two or less. So a one mana spell that can deal with a creature uh, when it's being cast has some upside, has some downside. Um, but first, let's take a look maybe about how uh, what, what fraction of creatures can it deal with. So it's actually not so bad. Um, Stern Scolding can deal with roughly two-thirds of the creatures at common, around 60% of the creatures at uncommon, and 40% of the creatures at rare and mythic level. Um, and of course, there's not many one-drops in this format, and definitely not many good one-drops, which means that most of the time when you counter something with Stern Scolding, you're going to be up on mana, which is important because uh, you know they paid three mana, you paid one mana, uh, um, your card is in the graveyard, their card is in the graveyard. Potentially, if you play some uh, spell synergies, your card does something in that graveyard, theirs doesn't. So um, uh, that's a very good way of getting ahead on resources. And I haven't done that for ages, and maybe next time there will be a replay data, I'm going to revisit that. But spending more mana than your opponent um, is a way of winning and, uh, you know, utilizing spells efficiently, gaining advantage on the resources is a good way of winning games. So from that perspective, Stern Scolding uh, looks pretty good. But when we look at um, the numbers of the card, um, the win rate, game and hand win rate is only 55%. It's not bad by all means. Uh, but it's not amazing. Um, Glorious Gale, the two mana counter spell for creatures, uh, has a much higher win rate. Uh, Saruman's Trickery, the three mana counter spell uh, that amasses one that can counter anything, has a much higher win rate than that. So it's the third of those uh, counter spells. And Alsa of the card is around 5.4, which means that the card will wheel if you open it around 35% of the time. This also tells you something about the prioritization of this card. Uh, because of the win rate that's not super high and because of the ALSA that is reasonably high, 
I would probably, if I open it, not first pick it, and even if I'm in pack two and I know I'm in some kind of a blue deck, I would try to float it and maybe get it on the wheel. And if I don't get it on the wheel, I'm not uh, shattered. I'm, 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 I'm absolutely fine with it. And I'd rather pick some cards that are higher priority for me. Of note, it deals with seven out of the 20 top commons, um, but there is a good chunk of commons that are uh, non-creatures uh, in the top echelons because always removal uh, floats to the top. And it deals with seven out of the 20 top uncommons. Um, so yeah, that uh, deals with your question, RFY. Um, there is plenty of spells that are not creatures and um, are amass spells or, or things like that. There is still, though, uh, quite a large chunk of creatures that are uh, just creatures. One problem with that is that a lot of those creatures are in weaker archetypes. We're going to look at them in a second, so I'm not going to go into the specifics, but um, especially the, 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 the most menacing deck in the format seems to be uh, Black-Red. And Black-Red has uh, a large chunk of solid creatures that uh, have two power and toughness, but are not creatures per se because they are amass spells, like the Torment of Golem, which is um, four mana for amass two and um, look at opponent's hand and discard an online card from it. Uh, you can't counter it with the Stern Scolding and you can't counter it with uh, uh, Glorious Gale, which are some problems with this card. It's still Glorious Gale, the two mana version of um, uh, Essence Scatter that also will uh, Ring will tempt you if the creature was legendary. That card has a really solid win rate. So um, I'm not buying the narrative that uh, Stern Scolding will not be good only because um, um, because there are not enough creatures. There must be something else. I think that it won't deal with those important creatures and it becomes not so good in the late game. Um, and that's probably the reason why the win rate is low. Um, there is. I don't remember from the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that the opening hand win rate is pretty high. Um, but yeah, and you can nab some four drops with it even, like uh, uh, Build a Pony is um, a really strong card with a very high win rate. Uh, Stern Scolding deals with it very easily. Pippin Guard of the Citadel, uh, Mercurio in the chat says that they countered it and the opponent just scooped. Well, I mean, I can imagine their frustration. I probably would continue playing the game. Um, I can imagine the frustration. I was just showing before the stream my 7-0 deck and that had Stern Scolding, two uh, Glorious Gales and two Saruman's Trickeries. And I can imagine that my opponent after the fourth counter spell were feeling a bit angry at me as well. Um, oh, so Jorge checked actually it's 56.4% win rate in the opening hand, which is, which is solid. I mean, especially that it's not in the strongest of the colors. It's actually blue seems to be like the fourth strongest color, which means second to last, but it's not by any means unplayable. Uh, so, uh, you can easily play blue, but okay. Hopefully that answers my question and we can move on to the actual main topic of the, uh, of the stream today. Uh, and that is. Uh, what does the early data tell us about 17 lens users and general metagame and uh, which colors and color combinations need which cards? And crucially, which cards are quite trappy for some of those um, colors? So first, I always look at the popularity rankings. And obviously, this is a popularity ranking of 17 lens users. So this is what people who win 56% of their games on average uh, are playing. Um, and you can see black and red are vastly overplayed. Um, I looked at the play rate uh, uh, in two color decks. I counted the number of games that uh, are played in the two color decks from each color. Um, and there are big differences. Normally you see those numbers being moderately equal, uh, but this time they are not. 
So um, black is the most played color with 26,000 games, um, red with 24,000 games. Uh, then we have a big drop between uh, black and red and we go to white and blue. White has 19,700 games, uh, blue has 18,800 games. And then we drop down all the way to uh, roughly 13,000 games for green. So there are twice as many games with black than with green in this format. Uh, so 17 Lens users seem to have very quickly identified that black and red are the two colors where you should be. And they look like the most powerful colors. There are some important differences between black and red, how they are built. Uh, but we're going to go to that maybe later when we go deeper into, uh, into actually looking at each color strengths and weaknesses and looking at each color pair. Um, when you look at the win rate, um, they are pretty much reflected by, by the uh, play rate. So uh, the two most winning colors are black and red. Uh, they are basically, there's nothing in between them. 58.4% win rate for both of them, uh, with black being by a fraction uh, on top of red. Then the third best color uh, in terms of win rates is white with 56.2% win rate. Um, then there's 53.9% from blue and 51.9% from green. This means that black and red are above average for 17 lens user, uh, users. Uh, white is more or less on par and then blue is slightly below par and green is quite a lot below par. Now, big differences between those numbers are very meaningful. I think in the last format we had something like 57 to 55 and then there was one color slightly lagging because um, green has to be played in those two color decks with another color so it means that uh, they sort of should naturally equilibrate themselves to be more or less at the same level but they don't so green is significantly weaker than any other colors and i'm going to talk about it i don't think green is unplayable but um, i do think that there is a good case to be made if you want to improve your win rate or increase your win rate that in, this, in the early days, at least before the green decks are figured out uh, to some extent, you should probably refrain from going too aggressively into green. There are no particularly good reasons to going in green. Um, so uh, I would probably focus on the Grixis and uh, uh, Mardu uh, color combinations because they seem to be more successful. And that is not to say that uh, you can't play green but it's going to be an uphill struggle, it looks like. And even good players, uh, you know, seen some black um, going 1-3 with this pretty decent looking version of a scry deck, the green-blue one. Uh, so it is going to be complicated to, um, to, to win with green for now. Now, I think that there's potential with some green color combinations, and I'm going to go through that later. Uh, but if you want to purely maximize your win rate, I would just basically try to always be in black or red and then try to choose the supporting color for them based on what is open. Right, so with which colors are the most winning? Uh, there is always an important question. Is it a two-color format or is it a multicolor format? The previous one, MUM, that was a moderate multicolor uh, format, which means that roughly 17 or 18% of the decks were uh, above two-color and splash. So uh, in this zone with three color, three color and splash or something decks. Here we see that there is only seven and a half percent of the decks that are, have more than two colors um, and splash. So this is a strictly two color deck uh, format. 70% uh, 70, 70 uh, of the decks are two color, 20% of the decks are two color and splash. 
So 90% of all the 17 Lens user decks are um, uh, two colors and maybe, maybe with some minor splash. Uh, this is a hallmark of a two-color format, and I'm pretty sure that this is going to be um, staying until the end of the format. Of course, Ethan uh, uh, from Lord of the Limited, I'm sure, is going to figure out some kind of a five-color concoction and will be playing it. Uh, I'm betting on the uh, uh, Green Havens as, as, as a fixing land on the multi-legend kind of draft. But um, um, for the rest of us mortals that cannot just uh, choose a meme and, and then still manage to get like 60% win rate with it, I would suggest two colors and sticking to that. Um, thank you, Mr. Metronome, for the rate. I just noticed uh, that uh, we have many more people that I normally have. So welcome to the stream. You didn't miss much. We talked about a couple of things that included black and red winning the most for the time being. Uh, white being the middle color and, 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 and green being far behind. I do know how, uh, how uh, Ben loves data, so I'm glad that he sent his chat uh, to the data stream. Um, and again, uh, it looks like a two-color format, um, and I would probably, at least in the initially, avoid three-color combinations, although I think that potentially Grixis can be, uh, as a Grixis spell deck, can be a thing, and, and uh, I'm sure that someone will figure it out, and we are going to learn from that person. Uh, if you want to volunteer your gems to figure it out, be my guest. I think that there is something into that. Uh, the check will arrive, of course, uh, uh, Mr. Metronome. The check will arrive promptly. Um, so... Uh, of course, the fact that people are playing two colors and two colors and splash mainly doesn't mean that this is the best strategy in terms of the win rate, but it sort of is. I mean, yes, the monocolor decks have a higher win rate, but you have to keep in mind that drafting monocolor deck, you have to be in a very specific pod when one color was so atrociously open that uh, you were able to build a full deck out of it. And that's not going to happen very frequently. So um, obviously those are uh, a bit of... Um, outliers in, in general, and always those decks have a very high win rate because something really special must have happened to sway a 17 lens user to go monocolor. Um, but if we exclude those um, two color decks, so monocolor decks have like 62%, 59.5% uh, win rate, two color decks, 57.2% uh, win rate. And then we have a drop of around four percentage points, two colors and a splash already uh, only 53.2. Now here we also have to think that sometimes people splash because they want to, and sometimes people splash because they have to. So at least a part of those two color and splash decks will be, um, will be train wrecks basically when uh, maybe there was a color you were cut off from and you needed to pivot into a third color, but then you didn't make it on playables and you had to splash some cards or you missed the functionality in your deck and you had to splash for removal. Uh, those kind of situations will happen. And of course, because it's a mixture of decks where people wanted to be something and didn't want to be something but had to, uh, the win rate is going to uh, be lower. But also uh, splashing is a cost uh, because sometimes you will have the games where you can't cast your splash cards and you draw them. And even worse, sometimes you will have games when you draw the splash colors and you don't uh, splash uh, uh, colored lands and you don't draw one of your main colors and then you probably have many spells that you cannot cast and you're going to lose some of those games this will happen more frequently when you splash and that's why we see this drop but four percentage points is a hefty drop uh, in some formats you if, if the fixing is good if three color strategies are um, supported 
then you can actually uh, have a splash and have uh, almost the same win rate as you have with the two color decks. This is not one of those formats. Splashing is costly, uh, apply with caution. And I'm sure that there are things that are worth splashing, like for example, Sauron the Dark Lord is a great card to splash in your either black red or um, or blue black uh, or blue red deck uh, because the card is like a level bomb but maybe splashing something of less impact is uh, not such a great idea but actually in, in in the later data we're going to see one card that was successfully splashed in uh, in another deck and um, actually ended up to be the top uncommon for that uh, for that color combination so it is possible to splash if you know what to splash and then three color decks have already 51.3% uh, win rate, so uh, a whole six percentage points lower than the two color combinations. And three colors in splash go down to 45.4, uh, so a whole 12% points uh, lower win rate. 12 percentage points lower win rate, that's like taking a mulligan every game, basically. So, um, yeah. Um, the chat also says that uh, you can choose not to splash Sauron and still get a trophy. Yes, that is a possibility. And very often that's the right choice not to splash even a, a powerful bomb if you have a coherent deck in two colors. And sometimes you just don't need the bomb because the extra power will not outweigh the uh, extra cumbersomeness of splashing something. So, yeah. But generally, the win rates also show quite strongly that this is a two color format and you want to stick to your two color decks. Uh, in terms of color pairs that people play, um, I counted together all the two color decks and two colors and splash decks. Uh, obviously, the majority of the data will be pure two color decks because they were 70% of all the data set. Um, and also, this covers 90% of all the data that we have so far. So that's um, that's a pretty uh, you know pretty representative sample of what's going on. And I always like to focus on those two color uh, combinations because that's what you need to probably uh, uh, figure out uh, early in the format, unless you know it's a special case when the format is three-color designed. Um, so on average, if we would have a perfectly balanced format, all those decks should be represented 10% of the time, but they're not. Rakdos is played 20% of the time, so twice as often as you would expect uh, in a balanced format. That's a big bias towards playing Rakdos. Um, um, then we have a drop and there is like four archetypes that are over 10%, uh, but not, not above 14. So, uh, Orzov is played 14%, 13.6% of the time. Is it 12.7? Demir, uh, 11.3, uh, Boros 11.2. So they are roughly in the same cluster, way below Boros and uh, Rakdos in terms of frequency of the play, uh, but, um, way above the everything else. Then we have like a sol st steady drop. So Selesnya is already 8.5% of the time played, Simic 7.5, uh, Golgari 6.3, Azorius 5.4, and Gru is 3.1% of the decks. So three times uh, lower frequency than you would expect in a balanced format. So um, that shows you 17 lens users. They know what's going on. They are invested players. They not only use this to store their data, but also to look at the data. They figure out very quickly, yeah, yeah, Ragdos, Orzov, uh, Boros, Izzet, and Demir is where it's at. And if you look, I kept the same order of the archetypes um, by popularity, and, and I looked at the win rates. And when you look at it, um, Ragdos has the highest win rate, 60.2%. Uh, and then 
slightly below it, uh, you have Orzov with 59.2 and Boros with uh, 58.7. Um, so of those five most um, uh, popular archetypes, uh, three of them, the Mardu ones, um, are also the highest win rate. And then when you look at it, is it and Demir, the, uh, the two Grixis pieces that are not black-red, uh, they have 56.3, 56% win rate, which is solid. Um, so the five most popular archetypes in terms of play frequency are also the five most um, uh, uh, most uh, winning archetypes that you get. But then you have uh, slightly weird things. Uh, so Selesnya, which is played quite a lot, is only 51.5% win rate. Simic, which is played 7.5% of the time, um, if I remember correctly, only 48.7, and is actually the um, the most losing archetype. I think that this is linked to the fact that uh, Simic's scry mechanic is very appealing to play, and people want to try to play it, and, and unfortunately, it doesn't work. And we're going to talk about it when we get to Simic uh, in the analysis, but um, yeah, uh, for now, uh, it has very low win rate, even though it's still played. I'm pretty sure that the frequency of playing Simic is going to plummet for 17 Lens users over the next week, because 17 Lens users, one thing you can tell about uh, that they don't like is losing. So um, obviously, uh, obviously, um, um, uh, they are going to stop playing it just because they see that the win rate isn't there. However, Golgari has a 55.2% win rate, which is like not amazing by all means. That's five percentage points lower than Rakdos. That's just you know one percentage points lower than Izzet or Demir. I think that Golgari is a valid deck and it can uh, it can be winning. So um, even though it's in green, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't warn you against uh, trying the Golgari way. It seems like it can be powerful. Uh, there are a couple of really key cards in Golgari that you can play in that deck, and um, and black is a real, one of the strongest colors. So I think that combination works quite well. Uh, Azorius only 51% win rate, um, so appropriately to uh, to how frequently it's played, it's it's not looking pretty good. And Gruul has 53.6%. I think that Gruul is also maybe not as good as Golgari, and maybe will be dependent on uh, uncommons in red that you open and manage to get, and, and other colors being uh, closed. But I think that there can be solid Gruul decks in, in this format. Uh, so uh, again. I wouldn't prioritize it. I wouldn't have high preference towards it. But if I am in red and I see that good gruel green card are being passed, I would probably dip my toes in it and, and try to play it. It looks like it might be fun. Um, and I'm pretty sure that with better deck design, better uh, card uh, pick selection and pick orders, you can actually come up with good gruel builds. Um, so right, now we're going to go through the part where I look at the color evaluation and I'm just going to go through the best bombs, top commons and top uncommons for each color. I'm going to pick three of each um, category for each color. And then after that, we're going to move for each two color archetype. And then we're going to look at um, the best common, best uncommon, uh, the hidden gem, which is a card that I select arbitrarily, but I usually try to pick a card that either goes late in the draft based on the ALSA value. Um, uh, and then uh, one trap that I think that cards that are picked highly but do very bad in particular archetype. Um, a question from the chat. Um, wonder how much those stats would change if you had one top 20 player that had 1,000 games played as a sample data. 
they can change um, dramatically. I every every format I actually didn't do it for this format, but almost every format I I, um, I invite a guest and I look at their personal data and um, and then I look at um, how their personal win rates looked and they vary drastically. So. Uh, you know, every player will have their shtick, they will have their archetype that they're really good at and understand it. So I had the episode with Sam Black, I had episode with uh, Corticals, um, uh, I had uh, Jean-Emmanuel Deprat uh, in one Cube episode, and you could look through their personal philosophy and you could see how which cards were overperforming uh, for them and which cards were underperforming for them. Unfortunately, you rarely you rarely get uh, over a thousand games. I think that I only had over a thousand games with Florida one, but uh, uh, but it's very hard to get over a thousand games in, in in one format. So yeah, but yeah, it is it is interesting to look at, and I would uh, I would uh, send you to my YouTube when you can actually uh, rewatch some of those episodes to see what is the differences between looking at individual data from one person as uh, compared to what we're doing here. So looking through generic data of multiple uh, hundreds of people. Okay, so first of all, uh, white, uh, bombs, and by bombs, I looked at cards with the highest win rate uh, in that color, um, uh, focusing on the rares, because weirdly in this format, very frequently, commons and uncommons will have higher win rates than rares. If I don't like the term prince or pauper formats that are frequently chucked around because people expect them to be used, but if there was a proper format, this would be the one. Um, there's so many colors when you see like, oh, the top win, win rate card is an uncommon. The top win rate card is um, is a common in a particular color combination. Uh, lots of those. So um, commons look pretty strong. But in terms of white, the highest win rate card, which actually surprised me quite a lot, was Frodo Sauron's Bane. Um, white for a legendary creature, Huffling Citizen. It's a one-two. And for hybrid white-black, hybrid white-black, um, you can change it into a two-free lifelinker. And for black-black-black, uh, if you did the first step, so changing it to a two-free lifelinker, uh, it becomes a rogue and has, whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game if the ring has tempted you uh, four or more times to, in the game. Otherwise, the ring tempts you. So it's a weird card that can be quickly turned into like two, three lifelinker, which is great. Um, and later in the game, if you are white, black, uh, it can become a weird alternative win con. And uh, I mean, the card looks solid because two, three lifelinker is a good body, but actually uh, having over 60% win rate uh, slightly surprised me. Um, then we have Boromir, Warden of the Tower. Uh, that's a three mana, uh, three, three vigilance. And whenever opponent, uh, Casts a spell if no mana was spent to cast it, uh, counter that spell, which is very niche and very, very rarely um, will come into play uh, here. There's like a handful of cards that allow you to cast spells for free, but probably trinket text mostly for constructed. But importantly, uh, you can sacrifice Boromir and then creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn and the ring tempts you. So a solid creature, 3-3 three, three Vigilance, and an ability that allows you to save your team, which I played a couple of games with white-red in this format, and I know that even once sacrificing Boromir to, uh, to save your big, impactful, hasty 5-force, 4-force would have been an amazing thing to have in, in this. I'm actually missing the 
two mana protection spell or something uh, in the white red. It would be great in this format, which is probably why it was not printed. And the third bomb, uh, flowering of the white tree, white white for a legendary uh, enchantment. Legendary creatures you control get plus two, plus one, and have ward one. And non-legendary creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Uh, obviously, aggressive card uh, with a small drawback that one power ring bearers of your opponent permanently gain unblockable uh, if you play flowering of the white tree but i think that you kill them um i think that if you um if you kill them um before they do anything with the ring bearer uh, you're absolutely fine and it seems that it does it frequently enough because it has a high win rate so yeah still definitely play that card also in this format enchantments are practically always there. There's not many ways to kill an enchantment and uh, only white has the 3-1 creature that I think is commonly played that, that can deal with it. So yeah, once once it hits the board, you're quite safe that your creatures are always going to be slightly bigger. Um, the top commons, and there's one particular common that is just uh, head and shoulders above everything else. It's Errant Rider of Gondor, two and a white for a human soldier, 3-2. When it's ETBs, um, you draw a card, and then if you don't control a legendary creature, you put a card from your hand on the bottom of your library, but frequently you will have. So it's just going to be a three mana three two that draws a card. And you know what? Uh, in most situations, uh, you just jam it on turn three, you just draw a card and, and put something on the bottom. It's still the card selection it offers is great. And later in the game, uh, if you draw it, you just, um, just straight draw a card most of the time because 90% of uncommon and rare and mythic creatures in this format are um, are legends. So uh, you're going to have plenty of those. Um, and also your ring bearer is always legendary. So there is this additional um, level of, 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 having, um, of having legends on the board. Uh, then the second most powerful common is Protector of Gondor, four mana, three, three. When it enters the battlefield, create a one, one human soldier creature token. We've seen this card time and time again. It was in Ikoria. It was in um, in one of the one of the Innistrad sets um, uh, as Clarion Cathars. Now we see it again, and I think that every iteration this card became better and better because I think the modern, uh, or by modern design, I mean last couple of years, generating multiple bodies for uh, for the same card uh, becomes a premier uh, ability of any card. And the number three common Westfold Rider, um, two mana, three, one. You can sacrifice it to destroy target artifact or enchantment, activate only as a sorcery, which is a pain because you can't just do it in response to something killing it. Uh, but, uh, you know, still a, a solid beater. There's a couple of things that give double strike or, uh, um, yeah, uh, if opponent stumbles, uh, you can get in quite a lot of damage with it when you're on the play. Uh, top uncommons, uh, build a pony is actually uh, uh, build a pony is actually top uncommon for white. Four mana, one four. Uh, ETB make two food tokens, and you can sacrifice a food, and the target creature you control deals damage with its toughness this turn. So, butt strike from build a pony. Uh, really high win rate. Um, really solid card. Excellent ring bearer because it has one power, so it can't be blocked by anything. But it attacks as a four four practically for at least a couple of turns. Um, then there's Eowyn, Lady of Rohan, three mana for a 2-4, um, human noble, it's legendary, it's uncommon, obviously, most likely legendary. 
And at the beginning of combat, target creature gains your choice of first strike or vigilance until end of turn, or if that creature is equipped, it gains both first strike and vigilance until end of turn instead. Also, equipping costs one less. It's mainly trinket text in this case, but you know sometimes will come into play. But a very solid creature, like three mana, two, four is good. Um, it can have vigilance uh, of, on its own. Um, it can give first strike to something like bigger on the front, like for example, uh, uh, the Westfold Rider that we uh, seen last time. You know, you can play Westfold Rider, turn two, you play Eowyn, give the first strike to Westfold Rider, attack, and basically it either eats something or, or connects, which is what you, exactly what you want to do in white decks. And number three uncommon is Lost to Legend, white-white for an instant. Put target non-land historic permanent uh, into its owner's library, fourth from the top. And that's burying something really deep. Um, and also, uh, there's so many um, there's so many legends uh, that um, um, that you will almost always find a target. However, I, I looked at the archetype data, and uh, not in every archetype, Lost the Legend looked uh, like it was a good card. So maybe it is specific for some decks. Prestige uh, Kapfen, you missed very little. Uh, we just went through white, and we are going to go through all ten color pairs. So so you're gonna you're gonna get all the value. Now, interesting part, blue bombs, there's only one. Um, there's only one blue rare that has a decent win rate. All the other ones either have poor win rate because they are some sort of constructed plants or something like that, or have too small sample size because probably they're also constructed plants and, 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 and maybe mythics. So only one blue card cleared the threshold that I considered to be enough to be a bomb. And that was Rangers of Ithilien. Uh, two blue blue for a human ranger, three three with vigilance. And when it enters the battlefield, you gain control of up to one target creature with lesser power as long as you control rangers of Ithilien. And then the ring tempts you. So um, I guess the idea is that they, they arrested Gollum uh, and uh, and the ring tempted them because of that. Uh, yeah, this, this type of card was always good and it's not surprisingly also good in this format. Um, top commons, uh, number one is Glorious Gale. And you see, this is the question we had earlier in the chat. Um, are there too many cards that amass instead of being creatures for this card to be good? The answer is a resounding no. It's still good. It still has a high win rate. Glorious Gale is just an up, strictly better essence scatter. You will always find targets for it. And frequently, the better the target, the bigger the benefit, because you also get the ring tempts you uh, if you counter a legend. Uh, number two blue common in terms of win rate, and that might be a surprise to some, uh, soothing of Smeagol, um, one and a blue for an instant, return target non-token creature to its owner's hand, the ring tempts you. Um, and I think that this, the ring tempts you is uh, absolutely uh, essential. Um, also, I can't even imagine how good this card would have been if it would target any creature and not just a non-token creature. But as it is, it targets non-token creatures uh, and is still pretty good. So. Uh, I would maybe draw your attention to try out this card a couple of times if you still didn't play it. It has decent numbers. Uh, and number three on the blue commons is uh, Lorien uh, Revealed. That's the three blue blue sorcery draw three cards, but it has Island Cycling one. I was showing before the stream my 7-0 trophy deck that had three of them uh, and I played 15 lands and I, I was very happy with doing so. Um, the land cyclers are strong in most colors. Uh, I think that the one that sort of looks slightly weaker is the white one, but it's still perfectly playable. And some of them are among the best cards in their colors, like Lorian Revealed here. 
Um, paying one mana for the island cycling seems to be just about the right price if you want the card to be relevant. Uh, and also allows you to trim lands to put more uh, stuff in your deck. And, uh, you know, some people say it's irresponsible because the cost is real. I say, yes, the cost is real, but the benefit is also real. So um, uh, it's worth um, it's worth looking into it. My personal strategy, and it's not data-based, I'm going to definitely do a deeper dive on when we get more data on those cards. But my personal uh, preference for now is I try to have two land cyclers to cut one land. And then if I have a third one, I can cut two lands. And it obviously will depend a bit on the decks and a bit of the balance of those land cyclers that I have. But I very frequently will have three of them and and, and play 15 lands and, and, and not have a current world, especially when I have like early, early drops in abundance. Um, okay. Uh, blue uncommons, uh, the top one is Saruman's Trickery, the one blue blue uh, counter spell that amasses one. Card, again, was in my deck, uh, the 7-0 uh, was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I don't think it's an accident that it's the top uh, blue uncommon for now. Uh, number two is the Bath Song, the uh, Sam Black Invitational card. Uh, three and a blue saga. First two chapters is draw two cards, then discard a card. And then chapter three is shuffle any number of cards from your graveyard into your library. Add blue, blue to your mana pool. Do we still have mana pool? No, just add blue, blue. Um, no, we still have mana pool. Uh, anyway, I mean, it's, you know, four mana for draw four, discard two. Uh, but then you got uh, the dirtling machine for a control deck when you can put all the spells that you cast in uh, into your library. And you get uh, a rebate for the mana you spent um, and you can use it to cast one of the many spells that you drew uh, using the card. And then Gandalf, friend of the Shire, uh, three and a blue for a wizard with flash because a wizard arrives precisely when he wants to. Um, and then you may cast the sorcery spells as though they had flash. Um, and whenever ring tempts you, if you uh, choose a creature that is not Gandalf, you will draw a card. And this is a beating. Every time I, someone plays this card against me, uh, it's just like a groan test because I know that soon they're going to be tempted. They're going to tempt something else, draw an extra card, and they're going to loot, and they're going to accrue so much value. So yeah, Gandalf is a pretty strong card, uh, and it fits in multiple uh, in multiple builds of the blue decks. Black. Uh, Black doesn't complain about the bombs. Um, Orcish Bowmasters, 70% win rate, uh, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, that's an absolute beating. Two mana, one one. <laughs> How can two mana, one one uh, uh, have seventy percent win rate? Well, we remember Luminarch Aspirant definitely could do it. So Orcish Bowmasters must be something on the Luminarch Aspirant kind of level. Uh, it has flash, uh, so it seems like Orcish Archers also arrive precisely when they want to. Um, and when they enter the battlefield and whenever an opponent draws a card except for the first one they drew in each of their draw steps, it deals one damage to any target and then you amass orcs one. So you can cast it as a 1-1 one -one that brings another 1-1 one -one and pinks something. That's pretty decent. But if you cast it in response to draw two spell or draw three spell, it arrives as a 1-1 one -one with a 4-4 um, and pink something for four. So, uh, and the four damage can be distributed any way you want. And this is such a beating. So um, you either can play it early or you can, if you, if, you, if you think that you're playing against a deck that will be drawing multiple cards, you just keep it and wait for them to cast a draw spell. I've seen like in Legacy people playing it and, you know, uh, 
casting it in response to brainstorm uh, uh looks pretty good or in commander people play it with wheel of fortune to make a 22 22 and pinked for 22 damage um, so yeah it's like absolutely busted with those kind of things um but yeah it's still really really strong and limited 70 percent win rate it's the top rare uh, of, of everything and probably you will need it for constructed if you play any so uh definitely a first pick and the second one is Witch King of Angmar. Uh, three black black for a legendary creature, Wraith Noble. It's a 5-3 with flying. And whenever one or more creatures deal combat damage to you, each opponent sacrifices a creature that dealt combat damage to you this turn. And the ring tempts you. So basically, sort of a base when they attack you. And you can discard a card. And Witch King of Angmar gains indestructible until end of turn and you tap it. Uh, so sort of... Um, uh, Hello, Blame Masters uh, vibes, but but five three and with flying. Uh, okay, five mana is not cheap, but you get a creature that is pretty much resilient to removal. Of course, the funny part is that the two mana red spell can kill it uh, because the two mana red spell depicts killing of the Witch King of Angmar. So obviously, it had to kill it because it removes the indestructibility from a creature. Uh, still a bomb. Uh, if you don't have the smite, the uh, smite the deathless, then uh, you are in a world of trouble when someone plays this against you. Um, then you get um, Call of the Ring, the last of the black bombs. But there are many other black cards that are really high win rate. So um, uh, I'm pretty sure that in, in case of black, I could have made a much longer list. But Call of the Ring is a Unassuming looking two mana enchantment. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, the ring tempts you. And when you choose a creature as your ring bearer, you may pay two life if you do draw a card. This card is just like snowballing so quickly because you just level up the ring very quickly. Your small creatures become a must block threat and they of course then kill everything that they block. Because you are on the front foot, um, I played with this card in one of my drafts. And when you play it, you just like start attacking every single turn, you loot, you gain the value. If they try to keep up with you, they will lose their creature. And because of that, every time you pick the ring bearer, you will easily pay the two life price because they will never be in a position to attack you. So you accrue extra value on top of that. And it's just such a snowballing um, uh, engine. So I would highly recommend uh, playing with that, especially when like, I think black white is particularly well built to play it. But I'm sure it will be fine also in um, in uh, red black. Uh, in terms of black commons, the top one is claim the precious uh, one black black for sorcery destroy target creature the ring tempts you. Uh, just a premier removal. That's that's about it. It's really strong. Pick it very highly and try to play it if you can. Um, then there's Dunlet Crubane. Uh, someone in court's chat said that this sounds like a character from Game of Thrones. And I could imagine a Dunland Crabane being a character in the Game of Thrones, which is funny. Um, and it's a 1-1 flyer uh, when Dunland Crabane enters the battlefield and mass orcs too. Uh, so it comes as a 3-3, three, three, uh, but with a 1-1 flyer and a 2-2, two, two, so sort of reverse preening champion. Uh, but uh, it's still so good. Uh, it's not as good as preening champion, I think, but you can't ignore the fact that the 1-1 flyer is a phenomenal uh, ring bearer as well, because uh, a very, thing, very few things could, could block it in this format. Uh, so actually, uh, the fact that it's a 1-1 flyer and a 2-2 um, uh, can be pretty useful because you want big armies, so that helps with that. And you also want a, a, a good ring bearer, and this also helps with that. So excellent card. And surprise number three is the Torment of Gollum. Uh, I mean, the card looked okay in the uh, previous season, 
but uh, as soon as we started playing with it, it turns out that it's more than okay. Um, for mana sorcery, uh, target opponent reveals their hand and you choose a non-land card from it that they discard it. Uh, but on top of that, you get Amass Orcs too, and this generates a pretty good uh, amount of value because uh, that basically can be like a hasty 2-2 if you already had an army amassed. So um, you play the Crobane on turn three, you amass two. Next turn, you play Torment of Golem before attacks. You have now a 4-4 army, and uh, also you snapped one of the few things that can deal with the armies. Um, so um, actually, armies are hard to deal with with removal because there is a chunk of removal that doesn't do much about armies. Uh, and that's uh, a big uh, push in, in favor of, uh, of amassing large in this format. And it seems like you know getting the 7-7 army is not such a bad strategy. And with Torment of Golem, obviously, you can nab a very important spells. Like, again, this was my biggest fear when I was playing the uh, blue-red deck that I trophied with. I was having the Gandalf sanctions in my hand, but every turn I'm thinking like, what if they have the Torment of Gollum? And it never happened to me, luckily, but uh, I can imagine that it does happen to other people and it just completely ruins a very valid strategy because without this card, you could just sit on your uh, Gandalf sanction and wait until you have like 13 instants or sorceries in your graveyard and just cast it. But with this, you maybe sometimes have to rush it because the possibility of uh, the opponent playing the Tournament of Golem uh, is real, and uh, and because of that, uh, you might lose the game because you lose the spell that was your plan to deal the bulk of damage in the game. Um, in terms of uncommons, there's just banger after banger in black. Um, but, oh yeah, by the way, I didn't mention, these are the top three black commons, but black is so deep on commons. There is probably like 12 really, really um, uh, top top common quality cards in black. That's part of the strength of the color. Most of it accumulates in the common uh, level, and, and that's why it's so easy to draft, because there are so many good cards in it. Uh, there are still some very good black uncommons, and Voracious Fell Beast is, uh, is the top of that. Uh, for black black, for a Drake Beast, uh, it's a 4-4 flying. When it enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a creature, and um, uh, then you create a food token because you only have one opponent in limited. So yeah, um, yeah, I think seven of top ten or even eight of top ten commons are black. So uh, I don't know how it changed from yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yesterday it was eight. Today I think it dropped to seven, maybe, but I'm I'm, I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, this is like one of the top uncommons in 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 the whole set. Um, and then you still have a banger in in Nazgul, two and a black for a wraith knight. It's a 1-2 uh, with Death Touch, but when it enters the battlefield, the ring tempts you, and whenever the ring tempts you, you put a plus one, plus one counter on each Wraith you control. Uh, so it automatically becomes a 2-3 Death Touch. Uh, then if you have, mo uh, you can play nine of them in your deck, by the way, which is actually a drawback in limited, as you could play 10. Only the chance of drafting 10 is so little that uh, it won't be an actual real uh, drawback. Uh, yeah, so the point is with, when you have multiple Nazgul, obviously the ring tempts you twice when they enter the battlefield, and then you put counters uh, on each Wraith. Uh, uh, the, 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 ring temp, the ring tempts you, and then each of them triggers and puts the, uh, uh, puts the, um, uh, puts the counters twice, and they become just massive. Uh, Funderwank, imagine ever getting even four Nazgul. Uh, because I wrote a thread uh, on Twitter about what are the odds of opening nine Nazguls in the same pod, which is, by the way, you have a higher chance of opening the one ring than opening nine Nazgul in your pod, uh, not to mention drafting nine Nazgul. 
but someone sent me a picture of uh, them um, having um, uh, four in their deck, and that deck trophied. Uh, would you believe it? Um, no, of course it's a lore flavor, of course. Um, then the third uh, uncommon is Golem's Bite. Also has a pretty, uh, pretty solid, um, pretty solid win rate. It's uh, one mana instant target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn, and then. For four mana, you can exile it from your graveyard, and the ring tempts you. Activate only as a sorcery, and that ring tempt you part is an essential uh, element of that card because very frequently you will use it exactly when you want to uh, gain the maximum advantage. So most of the time, you will wait to um, to get at least one level of the ring, and then you can use the golem's bite uh, to activate the second part, attack with your creature, loot, and accrue value, or or. You don't have good attacks. Well, maybe you can activate the third level, and then you attack. And uh, if they don't block, uh, if they block it, they lose their creatures. Or of course, you can go to the level four and then uh, and make your creature into a must blocker that will also kill everything that blocks it. So yeah, Golem's White really solid spell. Uh, red bombs um, there and back again is really a proper bomb, and that's a five mana saga. Um, uh, in chapter one, up to one target creature can't block uh, for as long as you control there and back again and the ring tempts you, which is a nice small value. Then you get another small value by searching up a mountain um, and putting it into the battlefield, uh, the lonely mountain from Hobbit, of course. And then uh, chapter three is the big payoff and you create a 6-6 six, six hasty uh, flying uh, dragon, which dies into 14, uh, 14 t uh, treasure tokens. Um, so yeah, I mean, a strong card because it's worth the wait for that third chapter. Um, but apart from that, the other rares in red are sort of like good, but not amazing. Gloin is like a three mana, three, three. Uh, when you cast a historic spell, create a treasure token uh, uh, once a turn. And then uh, you can sacrifice a treasure and goad target creature. And uh, goading means it must attack you next turn. So you can sort of force their creature to, uh, you can force their creatures to, uh, uh, to attack into your superior blockers and, and get rid of them like that. Uh, still, decent win rate, not amazing win rate, but still on the sort of bomb level. And then uh, Moria Marauder is a red-red 1-1 uh, Goblin Warrior. It has double strike, and whenever a uh, Goblin or an Orc you control deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of your library, you may play that card this turn. Um, which is an interesting mechanic, and I think that you can, you know, without sacrificing too much, you can sort of a bit build around this card. Um, but, um, uh, you know, Double Striker is always dangerous, and the fact that uh, also other goblins of, or orcs that you control have that ability means that you don't always have to put it in combat. And, um, uh, and you know, especially when you can build a large army of orcs, um, and that can become threatening if it will draw you an extra card every turn. The top commons in red, um, not to my surprise, but maybe to some surprise, um, Rally of the Hornburg uh, takes the top spot. Just a two-mana sorcery that makes two one-one human soldier creature tokens and humans you control gain haste until end of turn. Um, and that's not like a non-existent ability. Uh, okay, you will play it on turn two as a two-two haste creature, uh, especially when you're on the play. Most of the time, it's just a two-two haste. Um, then sometimes you will just not play it on turn two, you'll draw it later, and you might create a situation when you play like, I don't know, maybe the three mana, three, two, uh, that draws you a card, and then after that you play Rally of the Hornburg and, um, uh, and, and, and the three, two gets haste. So um, that's a good uh, ability, that it gives uh, haste to all the creatures, all the humans that you control. 
so a very solid piece and it's good in white red it's good in um, uh, blue red spells uh, so yeah plenty of utility in there uh, then you have relentless rohirrim slightly surprised by this card um, in our review trumpetman was high on this card and i was a bit lower and guess what trumpetman was absolutely bang on right and i was not it's a four mana four three that uh, the ring tempts you when it enters the battlefield and that ring tempts you is just enough to push it from you know just a boring four three not even a four 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 mana into the realm of wow this is one of the better commons for the color and actually works quite well uh, it's also, you know, um, something maybe people didn't uh, expect, but Shadowfax is way better than uh, at least I expected. I knew that it's going to be okay, but it's uh, pretty solid. Oh, no, actually, it doesn't bring Shadowfax, does it? I don't know. What am I talking about? Um, it is surprising, uh, but I think that those couple of tempts in, in, in red can be, um, uh, um, can be quite impressive. Mm. And number three is the card that probably most people expected to be the top red common, Smite the Deathless. Uh, two mana for deal three damage to target creature, it loses indestructible and you exile it instead of uh, killing it. Um, and of course, it's not the top common, or at least not yet in the early days. Uh, doesn't mean that the card is bad, it's still excellent. Um, and But when I told you that black is deep on commons and has really powerful commons, Red has the same with uncommons, and it's banger after banger uh, for ages when you look through the list of the red uh, uncommons. And top of them comes Fearfire Foes, uh, the red and X uh, sorcery spell. It deals X damage that cannot be prevented uh, to target creature and then one damage to each other creature with the same controller. So uh, there is surprising amount of X ones in this format. So Fearfire Foes so many times will kill like three creatures maybe four um and it's overperforming for me and uh my opponents uh always have it when i build a whiteboard and you have to think about this card all the time um then number two is elmer of the reader mark a five mana uh five four with haste uh, whenever it attacks uh, if you control a creature with the greatest power which spoiler alert 90 percent of the time is elmer um among the creature on the battlefield, you create a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. So basically it's a 5-4 haste that sort of brings another 1-1 99% of the time. Uh, so 6-5 worth of stats for 5 mana and bunch of it with haste. Uh, excellent. Uh, and the third one is Grishnak Brush Instigator. Uh, that's a 3 mana 1-1, one, one, but when it enters the battlefield, you amass orcs 2. And then you gain control of target non-legendary creature and opponent controls with power less or equal to the amassed army's power. And you untap that creature, uh, you, of course, it gains haste. Very often it will be like, it will boost the army to a 4-4. You can steal the 4-4 from the opponent, swing with it. Um, and, you know, usually when you manage to have a 4-4 army that is online plus steal a 4-4 blocker to swing for at least eight, uh, opponents will have a hard time coming back from that. But this is not the end of the list of the great uh, red uncommons. Um, someone in the chat was asking about the Rangers mar uh, Rangers um, something, the, the one mana shock, which is still solid. Uh, there's a bunch of other things that are really strong. So um, yeah. Uh, red, if you see red uncommon, oh, there's of course the uh, Flametone Cavu uncommon, so the four mana amass two, and then your army deals damage to something. That's almost as good as Grishnak. Uh, all those cards are just excellent. Green actually has some bombs, unlike blue, 
Uh, Radagast has a very high win rate, but a uh, small sample size. That's a uh, 2-5 for 4 mana that sort of maybe draws you a card uh, every time you cast a creature, depending on the types. Um, and it has a very high uh, win rate. Delighted Halfling, green for a mana dork, 1-2. Uh, one, uh, one mana mana dorks are just good because they allow you to play three drops on turn two, uh, which will put you way ahead in any race. Uh, that's the main uh, advantage of the card, but also, you know, like this can be a ring bearer later in the game, so maybe not completely useless. Um, so Delighted Halfling has a high win rate. And then I put Legolas, which has slightly lower win rate than those two, but still enough that for green, at least, it is um, something to look uh, forward to playing. Um, three mana, one four with reach. Whenever you cast a spell that targets Legolas, put a plus one, plus one counter on Legolas. Whenever you cast a spell that targets a creature you don't control, Legolas deals damage equal to its power to up to one target creatures. Uh, and I think that the main idea with Legolas is to play with, with fight spells where you both target Legolas and another creature of opponent. So basically you have one for Legolas, you play a fight spell, um, that fight spell put a, puts a plus one plus one counter on Legolas. Um, it can ping something for two because you targeted the opponent's creature. And then, of course, this uh, fight spell gives it extra plus one, plus one. So it can fight like a three toughness creature. Um, and <clears throat> that's just good enough. It's not like on the level of, of the black and red bombs, but, you know, we have to keep in mind green Green needs to look for any kind of positives that it can get. And, and, and that's, that's Legolas is actually a decent card. Definitely better than any, any rare that uh, blue can offer in this format so far, except for the uh, Rangers of the Ethelian. Um, in terms of commons, uh, top common is Generous Ant, another land cycler for six mana. You got a five, seven with reach and foot token. Uh, but the second best green common is very interesting because that card must have been under everyone's radar before the format uh, uh, hit the tables. And that's Mirror Mirror Guardian, uh, three mana, four, two. Um, and when it dies, the ring tempts you. And this card has solid numbers for green, of course. So keep in mind, you know, it can't compare with the black commons, but it's definitely something in that card. Um, and then the third one is Ant's Fury, the fight spell that I mentioned. Two mana for a sorcery fight spell. You put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control if its power is four or greater. So, for example, Mirror Mirror Guardian will get a plus one, plus one counter when it's targeted by Ant's Fury. And uh, then that creature gets a plus one, plus one until end of turn. So Mirror Mirror Guardian becomes a six, four. And then... Uh, and then it fights a creature you don't control. So uh, it will kill like a 3-3 three, three and still threaten with like six damage uh, if you manage to clear the last blocker. Um, and Ant's Fury seems decent. I mean, it's not great. It's just okay. But you have to keep in mind that green is by quite a large margin the weakest color for some part. Oh, yeah, the Book of Mazarbul. That's another red uncommon that is a banger. Um, people are still... Uh, trying to count uh, really good uncommons in red in the chat. There you go. Green stop uncommons. I didn't leave this slide empty by accident. I, I leave this slide empty by design. None of the green uncommons had numbers that I would be happy to recommend them as top uncommons, really. Um, none of the green uncommons had a higher game in hand win rate than any of the top three commons. And the top three commons are not amazing. So I decided to leave the whole slide empty 
as a testament to the uh, weakness of green and in the uncommon slot. And some of the cards are actually surprised me. Punch spell has an atrocious win rate for some reason. Um, also, the six mana five six uh, ant has a really poor uh, win rate, uh, even though the generous ant has a high win rate. So uh, yeah, I still think that part of it is due to uh, deck building, uh, and part of it is due to those cards being played in bad decks and and, and losing for that. But uh, I am sure that there is more in green, but it needs to be uh, it needs it needs more work. So yeah. Uh, for now, we are leaving the top uncommons uh, category in green as empty. Um, okay, so we can move to uh, each archetype. And as I said um, uh, earlier, we're going to look at the best common and with its win rate, uh, the hidden gem, a card that I selected on some arbitrary criteria that I'm going to maybe try to explain. Um, but usually it's a card with a decent win rate uh, that goes pretty late in the draft so that you uh, so that you can uh, uh, so that you can uh, you not, I can draw your attention to the cards that are maybe lesser known or maybe not as prioritized so you can gain the extra edge by picking those cards uh, and, and and using them efficiently and then I uh, look at one card that I call a trap uh, and that's a card that has that is picked high uh, by seven by by arena users uh, but uh, has disappointing win rate. So, white blue, the key commons. Um, we have Willow Wind, the five mana, three, four flying creature that uh, scries when it enters the battlefield. And for some reason, this is the best common in uh, blue white decks with a 57.1% win rate. And I have no explanation for that. Um, no, honestly, I have no explanation for that. It maybe is that uh, blue white. Uh, can maybe clog the board, but needs finishers. But it doesn't make sense with any other cards. I'm reporting it because the numbers are there, but I don't have an explanation as I never played Blue White uh, or Willow Wind for that uh, instance. So go figure it out yourselves why the Willow Wind is the um, highest win rate card in Blue White. Because lots of flyers are not. Uh, I looked at the Landroval and I looked at the other Eagle and they were not particularly good in, in, in white blue. Willow Wind somehow is. Um, the hidden gem for the archetype, um, I picked the Eastmark Cavalier. Um, it's a two mana two two with vigilance and when it deals damage to a goblin or orc, destroy that creature. Um, I think the card is slightly better than I would have expected because building a big army is a thing and, and this can destroy any army, which is which is a nice ability to have. 56.2% win rate. You know, this is not spectacular, but we are talking about one of the weakest archetypes in the format. And the trap is banished from Edoras. It's um, five mana sorcery, um, exile target creature. Uh, at sorcery speed, this effect is not so great. It does cost two less to cast if the if it targets a tapped creature, but of course, because it's sorcery, it can only uh, and all, in most cases it can target a tapped creature already after that creature attacked at least once. So um, you know, and well, for example, we'll never deal with anything that has vigilance. Um, so lots of downside for removal and uh, the win rate is fifty point one percent. So uh, yeah. Problematic. Um, I would uh, refrain from playing it for the time being. I think uh, it's not a good card. There are better ways of dealing with creature, even in blue-white. The key uncommons, um, Build a Pony is the top uncommon with 59.4. We already talked about this card. 
And the hidden gem I selected is Lost to Legend, um, which we already talked about as well. The thing that can put target historic permanent uh, force from the top uh, in someone's uh, in its owner's library. Um, 59.2, so just below Build a Pony, but uh, it goes much later than uh, Build a Pony. So you can get a premium removal for your deck uh, quite late. Um, and the trap for this archetype is Shire Sheriff, uh, the two mana halfling soldier, a 2-2 with vigilance. When it enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a token when you do exile target creature and opponent controls until Shire Sheriff leaves the battlefield. I think the problem with Shire Sheriff uh, in this archetype is that it just doesn't have many ways of uh, generating um, uh, of generating a, a token. Uh, and because of that, Shire Sheriff will very frequently be played as just a 2-2 vigilance creature, so sort of French vanilla. And you have to pick it quite highly in order to get it. So you need to waste a high pick um, in order to get a card that does not deserve to be a high pick in your particular deck. And the win rate is particularly bad, obviously early format, obviously small sample sizes, but 46.7. Uh, I doubt that it will become a top uncommon for the blue-white decks um, uh, in the future. So uh, for now, it's a trap, particularly in this blue-white deck, because it's really good in other decks. Uh, so, uh, so you know, you shouldn't avoid Shire Sheriff. Just, uh, just think about it when you're trying to draft blue-white, um, that this might not be the card for your deck. Now, in white-black, a much stronger archetype, and you will see that by the numbers instantly. Uh, the best common is the Torment of Golem. It's better even than the uh, 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 Claiming the Precious. It has 64.2% win rate. Um, and yes, again, early data, but even if it drops by four percentage points, it's still going to be a 60% win rate uh, card, which is excellent. So yeah, white, black, definitely want to be playing your Torments of Golem. Uh, the hidden gem I selected is Shelob's Ambush, uh, which is below the Torment of Golem, but I don't think it even second in, uh, in terms of win rate. It probably is like fourth or something, just shows you the depth of the black commons. Shelob's Ambush, uh, one mana instant, target creature gets plus one, plus two, and gains death touch until end of turn, create a food token. Most of the time it's one mana, kill something, uh, gain free life in the future, and it has 62.9, a really strong, um, uh, really strong uh, card. Um, and the trap I selected is Mordor Trebuchet, um, two and a black for a wall, one four, obviously with defender. Uh, whenever you attack with one or more goblins and or orcs, create a two-one colorless construct artifact creature token with flying named Ballistic Boulder that's tapped and attacking. Sacrifice that token at the end of combat. 56 is still, you know, uh, at, at level of, of, of recommended commons in uh, white-blue, but, uh, but compared to all the other cards in white-black, it's just... Um, it's just um, not good enough. It, it, it's just so low compared to all the other things. So basically, you're actively making your deck worse by putting Mordor Trebuchet in most cases. Now, I'm not going to say that there is no decks that will be using Mordor Trebuchet efficiently in white-black. It's just keep that in mind because I know that this card has appeal. By the way, picking the trap, I was split between putting this or the Merkwood Bats, who are also not doing great in the white-black uh, archetype. But in the end, I picked Trebuchet because I think that Trebuchet was slightly more um, uh, low win rate. Um, in terms of key uncommons, the best uncommon is the Voracious Fell Beast with 65.6, .6, insane win rate. We already talked about this card. 
hidden gem is shadow summoning. It's not that very much hidden, but uh, it goes later because it's a multicolor card. It's very strong, 65.1% win rate, almost at the level of Voracious Felbeast. And the trap card I selected is Faramir, Field Commander. I was very high on that card before the set was released, and it looks disappointing, but I'm still going to be trying with it. Um, uh, I picked Faramir because I thought that if I don't pick it with the low win rate, uh, I would be biasing my presentations against the cards that I uh, that I thought would be good in the review, and I wanted to avoid it, so I put Faramir just to bash myself basically in front of you on my bad prediction but the fact also but to mention the fact that i am still going to try to play faramir in my decks and 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 see how it can work because i think that the card potentially is pretty strong um right but rosie could have been i think if i remember correctly could have been uh, one of those cards that just don't fit into white black um white red uh, the key commons you 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 would probably guess rally at the hornburg is the top common uh um at 62.4 percent win rate uh hidden gem and i was very surprised by that card being so high um is the breaking of the fellowship um two mana sorcery target creature and opponent controls deals damage equal to its power to another target creature that player controls and the ring tempts you and it's got 60.3% win rate. Uh, sample size, not gigantic, but still enough. And I think that this is just a, an okay removal that gets better because there's not so many ways in white-red for the ring to tempt you. And, and this being one of them allows you to maybe push across that threshold of being able to loot. And I think that white-red will be really beneficial from looting while attacking because white-red wants to attack and... Um, uh, to attack efficiently you want to only draw gas and and looting helps you to draw only gas um and yes as minds over matter in the chat mentions normally killing small creature is bad but if you kill a ring bearer and ring bearers will tend to be small uh, you're getting extra values and then of course you get your own ring bearer from that so yeah thanks for the contribution in the chat uh, as a trap i selected fog on the barrow downs the card is picked highly by by arena users and only 54% win rate is not enough. That's the pacifism variant for the format. Again, another white removal that um, uh, you're probably advised, better advised to uh, to not be playing in your decks, or at least not try to play something else instead of it if possible. Uh, the key uncommons, uh, again, there is plenty. Um, Eomer of the Riddermark, uh, we already mentioned, has 65.3% win rate. Hidden Jam, again, because it's a, a multicolor card, is Theoden, King of Rohan. Um, one red-white for a 2-3 when it ETBs another human uh, or another human ETBs. Uh, target creature gains double strike until end of turn. Um, so when you play it, usually your two-drop is unblockable, and then you can start uh, doing some crazy shenanigans with putting double strike on every creature that you have. And as a trap, I selected uh, Rosy Cotton of South Lane. Three mana for a halfling peasant. Um, a one-one when ETBs uh, create a foot token, and whenever you create a token, put a plus one plus one counter or target creature you control other than Rosie. And you know people might be tempted to play Rosie because you have multiple battles of Hornburg, and maybe in some cases it's going to be right. It seems from the data that it's wrong more than it's right uh, most of the time. Uh, still 57% win rate, so not terrible. It's just that you need to sacrifice high picks for the card that doesn't necessarily play well with your synergies. So, uh, yeah, um, something to watch. But again, at 57%, I can see that card going up 
or I can see that card being particularly good in some builds and maybe less good in some builds, and you need to use your you know judgment to uh, to, to figure out. Well, with Aomer, you probably can't go wrong in the white-red deck, and that's the thing. Um, White-green, key commons, and, uh, and here comes a big surprise, the best common in terms of win rate, and I'd like to strongly stress, it was a very small sample size, but it was Elven Farsight, the one-mana sorcery that scries three, and then you may reveal the top card of your library if it's a creature card, draw a card. Uh, and it's 57.4% win rate, so decent one, even though uh, it was a small sample size. Now, white green, arguably one of the one of the worst archetypes. And uh, hidden gem was bag and porter. Uh, I put it there because it's not picked very highly, and also because I didn't expect myself to see it uh, high in the win rate uh, of the uh, of the white green. But it is there. Uh, it's a four mana four four, and when it attacks, it gets plus one plus one until end of turn, where X is the number of legendary creatures you control. I guess that there are some plenty of cheap um, uh, legendary creatures in uh, uh, white green, so you can probably accumulate two of them and start attacking with Bag and Porter as a six six. So um, yeah, uh, solid card for that archetype. And the trap I selected is Took Reaper, uh, two mana for a two one. When it dies, the ring tempts you. Uh, 49.7%. I think it's a bit of a um, testament to uh, people building white green, not necessarily in an optimal way. Um, I think that people try to make it sort of like a weenie creatures, like play a lot of hobbits and make some food and try to nickel and dime them. But it just doesn't have interaction for that kind of a deck. Uh, for this deck to be good, you would need some really strong removal um, or some really strong combat tricks, and it doesn't have. Uh, that much. Um, so that's probably why Two Creeper has a uh, slightly um, mm, disappointing, even for that color combination, win rate of uh, 49.7. Um, in terms of uncommons, uh, the key uncommon is, uh, the top uncommon is Frodo Baggins um, at 62.4. Uh, Frodo is a green and a white for a 1-3 when it ETBs or another legendary creature enters the battlefield. Under your control, the ring tempts you. And then as long as Frodo is your ring bearer, it must be block if, uh, blocked if able. So uh, at least one creature will have to be uh, jumping in front of Frodo, which makes it into a sort of 1-1 token killer if, uh, if, uh, if he's the ring bearer. But also allows you to speedily, um, uh, speedily uh, level up the ring. And I think, even though still early days, I think that speedily uh, moving the ring up is the way to go for uh, white green if it wants to be successful as a version of the deck. And, and for that, you need a, a, a solid number of Frodo's. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, but as you might notice from the slides, uh, Old Man Willow, my hidden gem, is actually the top uh, win rate uncommon. But because it's a black-green card, I didn't uh, include it as a best uh, white-green uncommon, but something that is a hidden gem. Uh, so it turns that uh, Abzan builds might be a thing, or you know, splashing Abzan into green-white, uh, because Old Man Willow has 62.9% win rate. Uh, and I guess, you know, it plays decent with, um, with Frodo. Uh, you can sacrifice food to uh, kill creatures or at least make them uh, so small that they can realistically block anything. Um, uh, uh, Old Man Willow, of course, being 4-mana uh, XX, where X is the number of lands you control, and when it attacks you, you might sacrifice another creature or a token, 
And when you do target creature and opponent control gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. So uh, card is good, but particularly good in the deck that can generate uh, some amount of food that you can sacrifice instead of gaining three life uh, pinging creatures of the opponent. And the trap for this archetype that I selected was Eowyn, Lady of Rohan, that we discussed. It's just uh, her synergies are not good for this particular deck, uh, and it's reflected with the 53% win rate. Giving first strike to your 1-3, not necessarily good, maybe. Um, Blue-black. The key commons, uh, best common is actually Soothing of Smeagol, the uh, two mana bounce spell that tempts you, 63.2%. And, you know, again, you can you can argue that probably is not the best common, but it's pretty available and it's still quite good. And the numbers are on its side, so I would, you know, don't pick it like it's the best card, but uh, definitely put it in your deck like it is a good card. Um, no, there is no land section, uh, Thunder Wonk. Um, Fundervunk, maybe let's go with this pronunciation. It's going to be much better for my uh, ad uh, possibilities. Um, so yeah, uh, you don't have to pick it early because it goes quite late still, but um, but definitely you want to play it and you want to pick it over some other cards uh, and move it up your uh, pick order a bit. Uh, Hidden Gem, Arwen's Gift, four mana, Sorcery uh, costs one less to cast if you control two or more legendary creatures. Scry two, draw two. And, you know, those cards in the last years were pretty poor and um, and often in the trap section of the of this kind of presentation. But Arwen's Gift actually looks solid with 61.5%. I mean, again, I also played it in my uh, blue-red deck and it was fine there as well. Um, so during the set review, I speculated that in lower power level sets, uh, card draw becomes better. Because if you don't have super powerful uh, cards and maybe the power level is roughly flat, how you're going to win games is by um, card selection and card draw. So um, uh, so yeah, uh, in this aspect, Arwen's Gift uh, is looking solid and, and shows solid numbers. As a trap, I selected the most beloved card of uh, Magic players, it seems, uh, the Merkwood Bats. Uh, four mana for a 2-3 flyer. Whenever you create or sacrifice a token, each opponent loses one life. Um, the card underperforms in blue-black, but it also underperforms in other archetypes to to extent that uh, I would say that not playing it is probably a good heuristic. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes it will be just excellent in a deck uh, and then you probably will be able to figure it out, but I would probably default to not playing it in any of my decks. Of course, if you are for the story kind of uh, uh, aspect of playing the card, then by all means, jam Merkwood backs and tell stories about how you beat someone by sacrificing Smaug uh, or whatever. Um, Blue-black, key uncommons. We have the uh, traditional voracious fell beast as the top uncommon in black. Uh, but the hidden gem and very close to voracious fell beast in terms of win rate is Saruman's trickery, the counter spell that amasses with 65% win rate. Um, and the trap that I selected is Maneldor, the swift savior. A four mana three three flyer that uh, when it deals combat damage to a player, exile up to one target creature you own. Uh, that returns to the battlefield under your control after. In case of blue red, uh, again the key common is the Battle of Hornburg, uh, sixty three point five percent win rate. Uh, it's a really good tempo card because it can deal damage quite efficiently, and when all the other spells that you have control the population of your opponent's creatures. These two one ones can do a whole lot of damage. 
And when you're slightly back, it can hold the, the fort for a couple of turns uh, against a big army or something and, um, and make you survive until you find a way to deal with it. The hidden gem I selected was uh, Quarrel's End, a three mana sorcery as an additional cost to cast it to discard a card. And then you draw two and create a 1-1 human soldier creature token, surprisingly well performing in this deck. I think that you know you get some card selection. You get this one-one to hold the fort, um, and then um, you get enough fuel to, for your next turns to do something more impactful and 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 try to uh, turn the race in your favor. Um, and the trap for the color is Italian Kingfisher, uh, three mana, two-one flyer. Uh, when it dies, draw a card. Just doesn't seem to be anything that this deck wants to be doing. I would uh, not even think about putting it into uh, into this type of decks. Maybe there are builds where it's going to be slightly better, but uh, in general, it looks like it's a trap for this color combination. Uh, key uncommons for the blue-red. Um, Saruman's Trickery is the top uh, uncommon, 64.4% uh, win rate, like really high. Uh, the counter spell that amasses. Uh, the hidden gem, obviously, uh, because it goes late, because it's a multicolor card, is Gandalf Sanction, 61.4. Um, um, I would say that uh, another card that might be a hidden gem for this archetype is the Mouth of Sauron, the um, blue-black signpost creature uncommon, uh, because it has decent numbers in blue-red. So uh, this is a card you might be considering uh, splashing. The point is that um, all the other good uncommons uh, for the blue-red deck are very highly picked. So they are not really hidden gems if they are picked very highly already. So Gandalf Sanction goes... Uh, the most um, uh, late of all the cards that were there in in, uh, in the um, uh, in the blue red, and the trap is again Melander the Swift Savior, the three three flying uh, uh, blinking bird. It doesn't seem to be something that is uh, really good. Um, okay, Simic, the key commons and the best performing common is Generous End at a whopping fifty four point six percent win rate. A whole 10 percentage points lower than uh, top commons in, in, in uh, good archetypes. Um, Deceive the Messenger was the hidden gem uh, at a magnificent 53.1% game in hand win rate. Um, it's the you know, one mana instant target creature gets minus three minus O until end of turn and you amass orcs one. Performed okay for it. It's a trap. I didn't find a single card that was a trap because all the cards that were at the bottom of the win rate for blue green were cards that are going late in the draft. So turns out that there are no traps in this archetype, maybe except for the whole archetype uh, as a total. So um, I would probably hard avoid blue green for the time being and let someone else figure out how to make it work. And there is no guarantee that someone will make it work. Um, I think that this is a problem of those A plus B archetypes from last years. When you need to have an enabler and have a payoff, and most of the time there are two different cards, um, it's so easy to disrupt most of the time in, um, based on how limit is constructed in, in modern years. So uh, because of that, I would say avoid those things. And uh, yeah, it's also this thing that um, uh, Funda Wunk uh, is writing in the chat, that you also need to have those cards in the right quantity and in the right order. And in some games, you will draw all your scry payoffs. And in some games, you will draw all your scry enablers. And in some games, you'll draw exactly what you need, and they will just kill the important piece, and you will be left with nothing. 
And in the end, the dream is beautiful of playing this deck, uh, but the dream is not uh, the dream is not um, uh, going to happen very frequently. Um, key uncommons, um, and there is one card that is good in there. Arwen Undomiel is actually a good card. The green-blue uh, legendary creature Elf Noble. When you scry, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature, and you can pay six mana to scry two. It's a two two for two mana. This card has a 57.2% win rate, which is okay. Uh, it's not amazing, it's, it's just great for this particular archetype. Um, hidden gem, there are no hidden gems. I, I did not have the heart to write uh, that any of the cards that were there uh, were gems of any sort. Um, and Quick Beam, the upstart end, uh, turned out to be a trap with 48.5% uh, win rate. I think that this contributed to Quick Beam being not such a great uncommon because it's one of the more play, the most played uh, green combinations, and Quick Beam is really bad in it, and that's probably what lowered Quick Beam's win rate in general. Um, so that's one sign to think. Actually, Quick Beam is probably good. It's just that people playing blue green ruined it for all of us in terms of win rate. So we should probably jam it in uh, red green or something. Um, Black Red, well, that's an easy archetype. Uh, key commons, anything really, uh, in black or red. Um, but playing the Precious is the top common with 64.9%. Uh, let that sink in, that's a high win rate. Um, the hidden gem I selected is Relentless Rohirrim, the 4 3 that uh, tempts you when it enters the battlefield. 63.6% uh, .6 win rate, which is really, really good. Um, and again, um, it's not an accident that this is the second highest win rate red common. Um, uh, bonsoir, bonsoir Thierry. Um, so Relentless Rohirrim is a card that is probably the most surprising for me uh, so far from, my, from what I've seen in the set. Um, I guess again, um, the tempting is so important that you can do it while maintaining the pace of putting aggressive creatures on board. Um, the trap I selected, Mordor Trebuchet, fifty-six point three. Again, would be a great um, uh, would be a great win rate in in Simic, but uh, in Black Red it looks pathetic. Uh, so I would avoid this card. I, I honestly, I'm not going to put it in my decks from now on, un unless I really think that I'm going to have something that makes it amazing. Um, the key uncommons. Uh, best uncommon is uh, Grishnak, the Brush Instigator. Um, we already talked about it. It's the one one that amasses two and steals a creature from the opponent. Uh, there's plenty of ways to sacrifice for one mana, so you can cast it for three and have one mana sacrifice outlet. Um, making your army big and stealing something even bigger is just like such a big game swing that uh, it, you don't probably need to sacrifice the creature that you stole uh, most of the time. Uh, and it has a very lovely 66.6% .6 win rate. So uh, yeah. Uh, don't sleep on Grishnak in uh, Black Red. Um, the Hidden Gem, uh, Goblin Fire Leaper. Uh, at the two mana one one, uh, you can pump it for two mana and gets plus one plus oh until end of turn. And when it dies, it deals damage equal to power, uh, to its power to target creature and opponent controls. So, you know, you pump it for two, you kill a two two and, 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 and then it still pings another two two is, is lovely. It has a win rate of 62.3. And now I'm going to give you another number. Uh, it's the 12th highest win rate uncommon in Black Red. 12th. So there are 11 ones with higher win rate between 66 and 62.3. Um, 
just shows you the depth um, 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 of those cards. Uh, legitimate business person asks out of curiosity, what's foray of orcs at? I don't remember the number by heart, but it doesn't matter. It has over 62% win rate. It probably is around 64 uh, uh, and it's probably like in top four best uncommons in uh, black red. Uh, it's just that all those cards are just amazing. Um, oh, it's number two at 65.9. Well, there you go. Um, and uh, someone is asking about Grond. Grond is lower than uh, all those things. It's at 57.7, which I would consider the first of the poorly performing uncommons. I think that March of the Black Gate at 60.4 is just above it. And that's the end of the good uncommons uh, for the Black Red. So Grond is already on those like more dodgy kind of uh, 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 cards. Uh, as for a trap at, um, at, at measly 56.9% uh, win rate, uh, we have Gorbak of Minas Morgul, uh, the two mana 2-2 two, two, uh, that whenever a goblin or orc you control deals combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice it. When you do choose one, draw a card or create a treasure token. Actually, may, might work well with Goblin Fire Leaper, but I would still not put it in my deck because if I connect with something, I probably don't want to sacrifice it unless I really have to. Um, so we move to the black green and the key commons, and this is again, I, I'm, I'm just giving you the numbers. I, 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 I can't, you know, lie about it. Best uncommon in terms of win rate in black green is Morgul Knife Wound. Uh, the two mana aura enchant creature enchant creature gets minus three minus oh and has at the beginning of your upkeep exile this creature unless you pay two life and it has 63 percent win rate and i'm mind boggled because because i don't see that card being played in any of my decks ever and now i have to think about it should i be starting to play more gold knife wounds for some reason and the answer is probably um it is small number it it will i'm sure go down um, but I have to report the numbers that I find. So, um, yeah. Uh, so there is something that is just below it, and that probably is the actual uh, best uh, black-green card, and that's the Torment of Gollum at 62.9. Uh, but, yeah, Morgul Knife one very, very surprising. Again, small sample size of this card particularly. Uh, the hidden gem is the Mirror Mirror Guardian. I already mentioned the three mana four two. When it dies, the ring tempts you. Um, also good here, not on, not only in uh, red green. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, Mirror Mirror Guardian is a card that does better than probably looks. And the trap is again Mirkwood Bats uh, at fifty three percent win rate. So Tia, uh, um, yeah, this is uh, all the data is from seventeen lands. Yeah. Um, Key uncommons, the, the best uncommon in the for, in this, uh, in this uh, archetype is the Bitter Downfall, uh, 64.3. Uh, bitter Downfall being the four mana uh, spell that destroys target creature and its controller loses two life. It costs three less to cast if it targets a creature that was dealt damage this turn, uh, which will very rarely come uh, into play. Probably the best combo of Bitter Downfall is with Fear Fire Foes. Uh, kill one smaller thing, deal one to everything, kill the biggest thing with Bitter Downfall, push. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 really a solid card. Hidden Gem, again, because it's a multicolor card and it will be picked later. Um, so it's not that hidden. Everyone knows it's good. It's just like not many people know that Golgari is actually a decent deck. Is Old Man Willow. 
Um, uh, we already talked about that card, the uh, four mana power and toughness equals to the number of lands you control and sacrificing creatures or tokens when it attacks can give something minus two, minus two until end of turn. Uh, the trap for this archetype is the march from the black gate. I told you that we had like 60% win rate in black red, but in black green, it drops to uh, 51.9. So way below that uh, march of the black gate being the enchantment uh, that grows your army uh, every time it attacks. The bitter blossom at home. Um, and we're moving to the last archetype, uh, red green. The key commons, uh, the top common of the archetype is war beast of Gorgoroth. Uh, five mana for a 5-4, and when it or another creature you control with power 4 or greater dies, a mass works too. And I can imagine you can build some kind of turns with playing this, attacking with your Mirror Mirror Guardian, and the opponent has a problem. Am I going to block that uh, Mirror Mirror Guardian? If I do, it dies, the ring temps uh, opponent, they amass two. Next turn, they can attack with the War Beast of Gorgoroth, and if that dies, the um, army becomes bigger. Or next turn, they attack with another four-power creature, and when that creature dies, the Amas uh, becomes bigger. And also, when the Amas thing dies, it will Amas to two, because it's now a four-four. So it can create a lot of uh, interesting uh, things, and has a solid numbers of 60.8% um, win rate in an archetype that is not one of the strongest. So, uh, uh, again, Seems like there's not so many of those four power, four power or more uh, payoffs, but War Beast of Gorgoroth is one of them. And I think that also in red-green, crucially, unlike in most other colors, the two mana mana dork uh, uh, is a decent card. Um, it's, I think, in the top three commons for that archetype, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, it's fourth, actually. Woe's Pathfinder, it has 59% win rate. So in red-green, you do want to ramp a bit, it seems. Um, the hidden gem of the archetype is the Enraged Huorn. Uh, five mana for a 4-5 tree folk with Trample, and when it enters the battlefield, the ring tempts you. Uh, so again, does what the archetype is supposed to do on the tin, uh, and that is uh, four power creatures are important. Um, the trap for the archetype is Mushroom Watchdogs. Uh, the two mana 2-2, two, two, you can sacrifice uh, for food and put plus one, plus one counter on it. Um, 45.5% uh, win rate uh, is uh, really low, and it's probably you don't want to go on any food synergies, you just want to ramp early, control the board early, and then start churning out chunky creatures and, and, and killing your opponent like this. Um, in terms of the key uncommons, Eomer, again, uh, best uncommon also in, uh, in this um, uh, archetype. It's just like almost every uh, archetype that had red, except for black red, had Eomer as the top uncommon. 63.1%, really great card. Um, Hidden Gem, again, because of its multicolor uh, nature, it's being picked later, uh, is Strider, Ranger of the North. Uh, four mana, four, four, with Landfall, when a land enters the battlefield until uh, under your control, target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Then if that creature has power four or greater, it gains first strike until end of turn. This again, really good with the Mirror Mirror Guardian. Uh, if you can engineer a turn when you uh, when you uh, play Strider, play a land, and your four two becomes a four two first five three first striker, it's very hard to deal with. Um, and Strider doesn't have that amazing win rate of fifty five point eight is not insane, but it's solid. Um, 
Um, it's 3C Open um, is saying that Signpost is a C in its own deck. It's not really a C because the average win rate of uh, red green is 53%. So 55.8 will be way above average for uh, for red green. And I think that there is something in that deck, um, and maybe you know people need to uh, figure out better how to, how those should be built. And I think that you know Strider, uh, those four power synergies, and ramping uh, are are key to figuring out how to play uh, how to play red green. Uh, there are no traps in red green because the data was pretty low. It's the least played archetype by seventeen lens users. So. Um, um, so I just decided not to show you that anything is a trap because the numbers were so low that it might be just to, due to variance that something has a low win rate. All right, that concludes the archetype analysis, but I have one little piece of candy for you before we wrap up. Um, uh, we, I will look at the openness of the colors. And uh, as you can see, there is a big sign that this graph is from mom, uh, early data, uh, because I'm going to explain to you what openness is. Uh, so basically, what I calculate is how many good cards for each particular color combinations will you on average see in a pod uh, in, on Arena. Uh, and this is for MUM. So uh, early in the format, you saw roughly 48 good Demir cards um, in, a, in an average pod that you opened, uh, that you played in. Um, you 48 good Demir cards will pass through you in that pod. Uh, I calculated simply, I look at the ALSA, the measurement of how late do you see cards on average. Um, I take all the cards that have a win rate of 56% or higher for the particular archetype. And then I basically calculate from ALSA how many of those cards you will see because I know how many on average you will open in a pot. And then you can, you, can, you, can, you can sum them up and that's it. So in the beginning of the mum, you saw roughly 48 uh, good Demir cards, 42 good Azorius cards in your pod, and 40 Golgari cards, but you only saw like 13 Boros and Gruul cards. And of course, if on average you will see 48 uh, good Demir cards in your um, pod, you will have a selection of what to pick. Of course, some of them you will see in the same pack. You have like four good Demir cards in, your, in a pack, and you can only pick one of them. So seeing 48 doesn't mean that you can pick 48. Uh, especially that you can only pick 42 cards in total. But that means that you will have a really good selections of cards that you can play. You will see, you'll probably be able to pick more than 23 cards in that color in, 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 in an average uh, pod. Um, but if you have Boros and you see only 13 good cards, you will probably only have 13 good cards in your deck and you will have on average 10 mediocre cards or even bad cards in, in, in your deck. Which means that, of course, color being open um, is um, uh, going to be promoted. Now, this is, of course, partially tautological because you know, good colors have good cards. And of course, because they are in good colors, they will see more good cards. But it's still sort of showing slight differences between some colors that you can see that they have a high win rate despite not um, uh, despite uh, despite not being so open and that probably means that um, uh, these are powerful colors and in some colors you will see that there is plenty of good open cards passing you but the win rate is not high and that very often will mean that 
we didn't figure out how to build those decks correctly and how to draft them correctly. And, and, and that there is potential in that color to improve because there is more good cards than the uh, results indicate. So uh, uh, the problems are with build and maybe play patterns. But anyway, these are the numbers for uh, MUM. As you can see, the top color pair, 48. Then you got a bunch of them, 40, 35, that kind of range. And then you have five archetypes between 12 and 18 uh, that were not so open because they didn't have strong cards. Now, the same graph for, um, for uh, Lord of the Rings. Black, red, if you are in an average pod right now, you will see 67 good black red cards. That's way more than uh, in uh, MUM. This means to me that this format is by far uh, less balanced and there is a huge bias to certain color combinations. And uh, uh, basically, Bunt is, uh, is the problematic one. And then you have still 64 of the white black good cards that will pass you through in average draft, 60 good Demir cards. And that's why I think Demir is still not. Um, being built correctly because you see so many good cards that are good in the mirror and still people don't win uh, a lot in the mirror decks, uh, which probably means that they are built slightly suboptimally. Um, then white red has a good win rate, but you see only 51 cards. And I would say only 51 cards. Out of the 51 cards that pass you, if you pick um, uh, half of them, you will probably have to cut two of the good cards. Um, and you see roughly 40 of... Um, uh, is it and uh, uh, Golgari, which again makes me think that Golgari decks also can improve on their builds because you see quite a lot of the cards, but you don't see it in the win rates. Um, and as you can see, openness correlates really well with win rate of the archetype. So uh, basically, the more um, the more you see, the more you're likely to win a lot of games. And and this is I think this is. Um, Boros, which has no, this is Demir, which has a lot of cards that you see, but the win rate is uh, not where it should be. The win rate should be somewhere in the 58s. So either, either uh, right now people are winning way too much with Demir, um, uh, and that's why Black is fueling its uh, high number of, of cards that are seen. Or uh, with different builds, this deck should be more like a 59%, 58% win rate deck. And right now it's at 56. Yes, it's a pseudo tautological. It's not completely circular, uh, but there is an impact of the strength of the color per um, on how many cards you will see, good cards you will see, because the more strong the color, the more good cards you will have. But it's not, um, it's not completely circular. That's why I'm using it. Uh, because um, these are more like a positive feedback rather than circular. So they strengthen each other rather than uh, going in loops. And it's it's different uh, in that way. But you're right, you have to look at this data carefully because openness is linked to win rate, therefore the high correlation. Uh, but it's not a complete correlation, which shows that there are some um, uh, things that don't fit into that correlation. And that's where I'm looking for my uh, potential uh, color pairs that I think are underperforming compared to what they should be doing. And that's probably because of how people are building their decks. All right, and that's it. We have managed to do it in just two hours. So I would like to thank you to the 17 Lance team. I know that uh, every time that there is a new set release, they work uh, tirelessly. Uh, Viral Misnomer, Hululu, Grant Wu, ZTM, uh, uh, especially ZTM is doing a lot of work. 
Um, and thanks to fake Jake Brown for um, uh, releasing this in a podcast version. Yet again, I, I have a typo in their nickname. Should be E at the end. And um, of course, thanks to all the patrons. I recommend uh, people to join the Patreon if they want to have additional benefits like the question of the week. And um, thanks to Asescu and Mana Junkie who are making the music I used for the podcast intro. And with that, I'll see you next week to talk about maybe slightly more mature data in uh, Lords of the Ring set. But till then, bye.